This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Coming up this hour, how the Beanie Babies craze got started in a Naperville cul-de-sac. But first, keeping up with all that's going on around you isn't easy. So as we do every Friday, let's go behind the headlines to catch up on what's happening in Chicago and Illinois. It's time for our weekly news recap. J.B. Pritzker is laying out his plan to spend $45.4 billion in 2023. Three years ahead of the Chicago Teachers Union, Jesse Sharkey says he is moving on. Sharkey announcing he will not seek re-election this June. Chicago Blackhawks owner Rocky Wirtz is apologizing for remarks he made last night regarding the sexual assault scandal involving a former assistant coach. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? Jason Van Dyke tonight has been a free man for almost 24 hours. There is mounting pressure from both civil rights and elected leaders to explore federal charges. So much news to get into, and I cannot do it on my own. So here to help dive into the stories of the week is WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Hi, Dave. Sasha, we made it to another Friday. Another Friday. And Alex Nitkin is here, City Hall reporter at The Daily Line. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you. Happy Friday, guys. Starting with you, Alex, uh, let's talk about something that's making national headlines. Dozens of people gathered downtown last night to protest former Chicago cop Jason Van Dyke's early release from prison yesterday. He ended up serving a little over three years for the killing of teen Laquan McDonald. Talk about the protest first. What happened, Alex? Right. Well, I mean, this is something that we expected that would happen. A lot of people coming out and just expressing outrage that this is someone who is, you know, convicted murderer, um, was uh, uh, convicted and and charged and convicted on um, 16 counts of aggravated battery for shooting Laquan McDonald 16 times. In addition to second degree murder, um, there was a huge protest downtown. Some people were arrested. Really, this does come down to that initial sentence, and it was an 81-month sentence that Van Dyke got for those charges from Judge Vincent Gone at the time. That's a little under seven years. And we heard all kinds of, you know, leaders also expressing some some outrage and sort of befuddlement about this. Again, we heard state's attorney, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, saying, you know, that just doesn't add up for 16 counts of aggravated battery and second-degree murder. Um, so we have seen, in addition to that kind of organizing, some people uh, you know, NAAC President um, Derek Johnson wrote to, and also uh, Senators, Illinois Senators Dick Durbin and um, uh, Tammy Duckworth wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland basically saying, is there any other, uh, you know, are there federal charges that we can explore? Is there some way that we can add some more justice into this equation? So how did Van Dyke get out so early? Uh, yeah, that's a good point also. So he was only... Um, to 81 months, a little under seven years. And now it's been, like you said, just under or a little over three years since mm-hmm. he was sentenced at the end of 2018. And that was just parole for, you know, good behavior in prison. Good time credit, according to Illinois That's law. Right. Um, and uh, activists want to see new federal civil rights charges filed against him. How likely is that to happen, Alex? It seems like an uphill battle for sure. Basically, the requests that a lot of activists are making are for new federal charges under uh, alleging that he violated um, so-called deprivation of rights under color of law. Basically, they would have to show that Van Dyke willfully broke the law. This is something that is above and beyond you know, the violent charges that he was convicted for. It's something that has been you know, very difficult to make stick traditionally around the country, you know, particularly against police officers. Um, but it, it seems like a, a Hail Mary that is, is just sort of worth throwing at this point to 
you know, as far as, um, you know, activists or organizers are concerned to try to um, make the scales balance out to be a little more appropriate in a case like this. Turning to you now, Dave, and talking about Springfield, Governor Pritzker unveiled his more than $45 billion budget plan in Wednesday's State of the State Address. What were the highlights of the speech? Well, I mean, you know, uh, Illinois is sort of famous or infamous is probably the better word for how screwed up its finances have been over over decades, really. And what we saw this year was really kind of a, a, a turnabout. Um, the, the spending plan that Pritzker put on the table includes uh, increases pretty much across the board for schools, for, for colleges and universities, for human services, Medicaid. Uh, it, it was a real kind of, uh, uh, you know, uncharacteristic kind of spending plan that we've seen here where there's just a lot of, uh, a, a lot of increases, and it seems like it's uh, a situation where it's, it's basically being supported by surging uh, sales tax and, and income tax revenues. So it's a big, uh, you know, a, a, a big uh, package coming out of Springfield here, it looks like. Mm. Well, the, the budget also includes nearly a billion dollars in, in temporary tax relief. Walk us through what exactly he's proposing. Well, this this is probably the, the, the thing that grabbed the most attention. I mean, what you know, we are, after all, in a re-election year uh, for, for Governor Pritzker. Uh, there are five Republicans out there that are circling around trying to figure out which one is going to take him on. And so, you know, the idea that here you have a spending plan that's got, you know, really nearly a billion dollars worth of, of tax relief in it, um, I, I don't – it's a bit surprising because we don't see that that often. But what it what it lays out is that uh, – uh, there's, there's supposed to, there's a 1% tax on groceries that'll be suspended for a year. Uh, that, you know, if you got a, a $200 weekly grocery bill, that's two bucks, uh, per week, roughly, if, if you go that often. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, an increase in gasoline that's supposed to kick in in July as well. I think it's about 2.3 cents per gallon. You know, and again, you, you save a few dollars at the pump there, uh, for a year under that plan. Okay. And then there's a, a property tax component to this that deals with, uh, you know, homeowners, about 2 million homeowners getting property tax rebate checks of up to $300 before the election. So those are the, the highlights of that tax relief piece. Well, let's listen to a bit from Pritzker's address this week. Look, the actual work of managing Illinois state finances is decidedly unglamorous. It's not partisan work. It's not political work. It's just hard work. Dave, where exactly is Pritzker finding the money in the budget for for these tax suspensions and credits? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, the, the tax uh, the, the tax increases that we've seen in, uh, or the revenue increases we've seen in uh, sales taxes and uh, income taxes, people are just spending more and they're making more. And and uh, that's enabled the, the, the Treasury to kind of suddenly get a, a, a black balance instead of a red one. Uh, they estimate at the end of this current fiscal year, by the end of June, there's going to be a $1.7 billion surplus because of that, uh, because of those uh, increases. And so that's really the, the money from which a lot of this spending that, that Pritzker's proposing is going to be covered from. How did legislators respond to the governor's budget plan and, and tax proposals? Well, I mean, Democrats predictably were, were pretty much all on board. I mean, you know, they're in a, a, a sort of a fast track legislative calendar this year. I mean, they're supposed to conclude their work in Springfield in early April. So I expect that, you know, Democrats are going to rush this through so they can hit the campaign trails themselves. Republicans, of course, were were trying to poke holes in it. Uh, You know, several of them thought that there were election year, what they called campaign gimmicks thrown in. And I think that was an allusion to 
you know, some of the, uh, the, the tax relief pieces of this because, uh, you know, I think that Republicans want to hit Pritzker for his support two years ago of, of trying to change the income tra- tax structure in Illinois to make it a, a graduated income tax instead of a flat tax. And so this tax relief now that he's proposing kind of helps rebut that a little bit. So Republicans against it, Democrats for it, and Democrats the ones that hold all the cards. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap with WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney and also here Alex Nitkin, City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Sticking with you for another moment here, Dave, Pritzker also addressed crime during his speech. What did he propose? Well, that's a bit of a, uh, a spot here, another, another spot that, that Republicans are trying to, to go at him in this election uh, year because – uh, all you have to do is look at data in Chicago, for example. I mean, last year we, we saw uh, the, the most amount of homicides, I think, in, in almost 25 years. And so, uh, you know, if you live in any city neighborhood, you're also uh, accustomed to uh, having to look over your shoulder to make sure you're not going to get carjacked. And, and so there's a, you know, Republicans have seized on that. And in his speech, um, I, you know, Pritzker, he 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 basically, I think he stressed very hard that he's not for defunding police, which has been a, a rap against Democrats across the country. He, he used language like that. You can't defund government in times like this. And then he went about sort of highlighting the fact that uh, under his watch, the state police have, have uh, begun bouncing back in terms of headcount from where they were under Bruce Rauner. Uh, they've, they've, uh, they're they're going to be hiring about 300 new police officers uh, out of their cadet class this year. And you know, and he's talked about crime labs that uh, they've they've put money into to help uh, open up and create. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's trying to do what he can to rebut that. Of course, you know, he, he controls the state police. He controls, uh, I think, the Department of Conservation Police, but he doesn't control the city police, you know, across the state. And that's really where the battle in crime is fought. Switching gears, Alex, Chicago Teachers Union President Jesse Sharkey says that he's not going to run for re-election. What were the reasons that he gave for stepping down? You know, basically, he said that it was mostly personal reasons that this is just not a position that he was going to be in forever. He, uh, Jesse Sharkey was a former social studies teacher at Sen High School up in Edgewater, where he um, presumably is going to go back to. Remember, he really came to prominence in 2010 as part of this really new kind of aggressive militant wing of the Chicago Teachers Union, along with Karen Lewis. Uh, Sharkey was really Lewis's right hand and vice president through the 2011 teacher strike and, and up through all those actions until Lewis stepped down in 2018. And Sharkey has been kind of the um, chief, uh, you know, foil to Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, since then, first in that weeks-long 2019 Chicago Teachers Union, uh, you know, teacher strike. Um, and then, of course, with all of the, the labor actions having to do with COVID safety protocols. So the sort of assumption here is that um, uh, current CTU Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates is going to, to step into that breach and, and run in um, CTU elections a little bit later this year in his stead on that, that ticket from that caucus. It's going to be interesting because they are going to be up against this members first caucus, which is the sort of alternative faction within the CTU that has been critical of some of the the hardline stances that um, Sharkey and uh, Davis Gates, uh, you know, have have taken in the name of of, uh, teachers and COVID safety and all of that. Um, They blame them for the the school shutdown that we saw a couple weeks ago. Um, And so that is going to be the next uh, 
political fight we're going to be watching within CTU. Wow. There's another group challenging the current union leadership. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's called the Members First Caucus. Um, and, you know, BEZ and, and Sarah Karp have been doing some great reporting on that. So I definitely refer to that. But, um, yeah, this is a group that has run in the past. They have not had a lot of success uh, before. Really, the Karen Lewis, Jesse Sharkey, Stacey Davis Gates faction has, has really been dominant. But uh, the, the Members First Caucus is saying, you know, looking back at the past couple weeks, months, all of the, the, the chaos, the confusion, they, they're sort of making a play that they can do a better job and get more results for teachers. Dave, uh, Blackhawks owner Rocky Wirtz came under a lot of criticism for, for some comments that he made. What happened? Well, I mean, this is a, a, another offshoot of this uh, situation that the Blackhawks found themselves in over the la- last year, really. You know, this, the uh, scandal involving the former assistant coach that um, is alleged to have sexually abused a former player uh, who has come forward named Kyle Beach um, back in 2010. And then there were other allegations after uh, this coach left the Blackhawks uh, of, of, you know, similar complaints arising, you know, in different places that this coach went. And the, uh, the, there were lawsuits that had been, uh, uh, you know, thrown into the hopper against the Black against the Blackhawks from Beach and others, and and they had just recently, uh, in the last month or so, couple of months, they had settled with the, with Beach, and and it looked as if they had at least made some you know progress in getting this situation behind them because it, it just you know they had to pay a two million dollar fine to the league. Uh, the, the front office, there, were, there was a huge shakeup that resulted from it. And so they, were, they had taken all these steps to kind of hopefully make right with, with those who had been uh, hurt by, by this former coach and, and, and to regain their reputations in a way. Well, this, this uh, situation that you mentioned with Warts happened during a town hall uh, with fans. And there were, it, it happened to be the first time that Warts had come out in public to answer questions since the settlement was announced. And, and the questions from a couple of reporters were very, very simple. And they were, you know, what has the, what, what is the team prepared to do moving forward to make sure that the power imbalances that led to, you know, the coach being in a position to uh, sexually abuse a player, what, what's being done to ensure that never happens again? A pretty good question. Yeah. And, and instead of, of kind of reverting back to some of the talking points that, that, they had out in play when the settlement was announced, uh, Wartz became enraged at the question, and he, he tried to shut it down. Uh, he really kind of gave the reporters a scolding for that. Well, let's hear a bit, and, of, the, it, uh, let's hear yeah, a bit of the exchange, sure. Dave. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward, and we're not going to talk about 2010. I can pick up to what we are doing today, and I think no, I don't. No, that's none of your business. No, I don't. I, I answered it, and I told you to get off the subject. You didn't I'm not gonna, we're not going to bring up the report. Yikes! He's since apologized for that outburst, right, Dave? Uh, he has. They put a statement to, to try to clean that up, but as you can tell, I mean, it was it was a disaster. It was a public relations disaster, and and a, a complete self-inflicted wound by. The, the, the owner of the team here. And, and, and so, I, you know, it's, it's very unclear moving forward, you know, how they intend to, to kind of clean this up. I mean, it, you know, the, they've been trying over, they've been transitioning to another generation of the Wurtzes and whether that will accelerate now as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that remains to be seen, but that, you know, there's a lot of pressure still on Rocky Wurtz about uh, his handling of all of this. 
That's WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney and Alex Nitkin, City Hall reporter at The Daily Line. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're listening to Reset's weekly news recap, where we break down the week's top local stories. All right, well, it's time for our weekly COVID check-in. Dave, we are slowly starting to hear some good news, right? What's the latest? Well, I mean, as you heard in the lead in there, I mean, cases and hospitalizations and deaths in Chicago are all down by more than 40 percent since last week. And and it seems like, you know, the worst with this uh, Omicron surge is behind us. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, that 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 probably means uh, that that we're going to see a lot of things starting to relax here now as a result of that. And what does this new data mean for the possibility of the vaccine mandate being removed for for bars and, and restaurants? Well, I, I think that's that's exactly it. I mean, I think that, you know, we're kind of in this mode now where, uh, you know, we might be able to, you know, for a change, go into a restaurant, go into a bar without, you know, having to, to bring the mask out. Um, you know, it's, it's still it's still sort of hard to kind of get your arms around though, the idea that, that things are, you know, truly going to be better because these, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to predict what this uh, pandemic is going to do has just been so difficult. And I hope the predictions here are right, that we're, we're entering this new uh, you know, spring and summer, hopefully, where, where things are a lot better. If I can just interject on that also, I think it's pretty notable. We heard Dr. Allison Arwady, the commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health, basically saying if things keep going on this trajectory, we're probably going to see that business vaccine mandate lift pretty soon. We don't know how pretty soon is, but um, hopefully, you know, maybe within the next couple of weeks, we could keep it safe. Yeah. Well, you know, before we get ahead of ourselves, should we mention that the, the first case of a new Omicron subvariant was detected in Illinois this week? What do we know, Dave? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, it's starting to pop up all over the place. I mean, you know, there, there are Denmark, I think, uh, across the ocean has, has been dealing with it and other countries have. And, and I think there's still a lot of uh, confusion about whether this is a more transmissible or a more dangerous strain of this. Uh, I think there is concern, certainly, about, you know, will this cause the, the downward trend we're seeing to, to level off and perhaps linger on for, for a period of time? I think these are the questions that, that make you know, kind of the long-range forecasting so difficult for all the epidemiologists and all our public health people. Let's take a look at city politics now, Alex. Uh, Chicago's interim inspector general, that's the city's watchdog, uh, issued a new report this week. What did it say? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because it didn't actually really unearth a lot of new findings like a lot of the watchdog investigations do, but rather it was an advisory, this sort of like greatest hits that uh, Marbeck put together of the Inspector General's office, um, reports and findings from the last two or three years across a whole range of topics and departments, but basically coming to the same conclusion, which is that the city does not do a good enough job managing, sharing, and publishing data. And this is on a whole range of things from, you know, the Chicago Fire Department keeping data on ambulance response times to the Department of Streets and Sanitation trying to track, uh, uh, you know, overgrown lead citations on vacant lots. Probably the um, highest profile example is the police department's gang database, which the inspector general's office has, has consistently found has these massive data integrity issues with, you know, potentially harmful and racist consequences with who's getting arrested. So essentially, this was an advisory from the IG's office to uh, Chicago Chief Data Officer Nick Lucius saying, basically, figure this out, get your house in order, had a couple of recommendations. Interestingly, we did see a response from Lucius basically saying, we're on it, believe us, we know this is an issue. He talked about 
this really, you know, exciting series of initiatives. He said, we're, quote, engaging in an aggressive 12-month plan to improve, you know, IT and data management. It's going to launch an IT transformation office, it's called. And it's all going to be nested within this grand plan that the city's assets, information, and services department has developed to basically spend $400 million in the next 10 years totally overhauling the city's IT infrastructure, everything from software to the way that data, you know, systems are communicating and how people are hiring. So this is definitely something that we're going to be following super closely in the coming, you know, months and years. And the struggle over redrawing Chicago's ward map, that continues, right, Alex? Remind us why the city council is redrawing the map? It continues. This is something that the city council and really all legislative bodies have to do every 10 years after the new census when we learn what you know where people are living basically new boundaries have to be redrawn accordingly we saw there was this whole messy battle with congressional boundaries and state legislative boundaries and you know cook county boundaries those are all settled but the city still needs to figure out its ward boundaries um and basically the there are two factions that are out there there's what's called the city rules committee map which is um comprising the city's black caucus and most white aldermen And then there's the so-called coalition map from the city council's Latino caucus. And basically right now the city council is deadlocked 35 to 15, and it will take 41 of them at least to come together to agree on some compromise, some version of a new map. Um, Otherwise we are going to go to a voter referendum on June 28th in the primary to choose between the two. So that those are the stakes, you know, everyone is saying they want to avoid a referendum, but, um, you know, there was a, a meeting, special meeting held last Sunday where they were saying maybe they're going to shift the focus to some particular hotspots around the city. But we really just haven't seen much movement in, in weeks, really. So what are the chances that the city council can't come to an agreement on the map, Alex, and it instead goes to the voters on a citywide rec- referendum? I mean, far be it for me to predict, but I think the chances are, are good. You know, I talk to a lot of people who think the way that things are looking, I just can't see how this doesn't go to a referendum at this point. I mean, right now, the debate is focused not even on the merits and and the boundaries themselves, but, you know, how we meet. Do we meet in person or do we meet in private? I mean, because this has become, I think, in some ways very personal and sort of relationships have been damaged, that the the discussion is even how to even uh, do this. Mm -hmm. So the really important next date to look at is I think it's May 19th, 40 days before that June primary. That is the absolute deadline um, for 41 aldermen to come together to agree in a compromise. And if not, it's going to be put to voters. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're listening to the Weekly News Recap, where we break down the week's top local stories. My guests today are WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney and Alex Nitkin, City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Sticking with you, Alex, and other city council news, Pilsen Alderman Byron Sigjo Lopez, he drafted a resolution supporting Starbucks workers in their effort to unionize. Here's a little bit of him speaking at the press conference in Chicago earlier this week. We are showing solidarity. We're showing our strength as working class people. And that's what we want to ask everybody in the city council here in Chicago to also follow suit of what Kishama is doing in Seattle, presenting a resolution of full support for the Star Wars workers who are fighting to be unionized and have a host at the table. What's brewing there? Yeah, so this all goes back to, of course, a couple of months ago. A lot of people will remember that there was a historic vote by a Buffalo, New York Starbucks to 
to unionize. And it took a big step forward this past week when 54 Starbucks locations in 19 states around the country, including two in Chicago, uh, one in the Loop and, and one in Logan Square, where that rally was, where, where we heard Alderman Cicci uh, Lopez speaking, uh, announced an intent to, to organize to try to hold uh, elections on whether they want to form unions. And um, Byron C. Lopez, you know, he's a member of the Democratic Socialist Caucus. He's just sort of the kind of guy who will show up at picket lines around the, the, the city and sort of show solidarity. We saw this, the El Milagro strike and, uh, you know, Nabisco. And he is, what's interesting about this, forming this kind of three-pronged effort, joining with, you know, like-minded sort of leftist leaders in Minneapolis and Seattle. And they're uh, all going to uh, uh, file resolutions in their respective city councils, what they're calling the solidarity ordinance, calling on their cities to officially pressure Starbucks to, you know, allow uh, their workforces to discuss unionization, to, to not do any sort of intimidation tactics or anti-union propaganda, mm-hmm. um, as he calls it. And so, uh, you know, the resolution hasn't been filed yet. And so it's it's really, uh, you know, no telling whether it'll go anywhere within this city council, but there's certainly political momentum building behind this nationwide effort. And Dave, in other political news, Illinois Representative Adam Kinzinger, he made national headlines this week, urging Democrats and independents to join him in a, quote, uneasy alliance. What's he talking about? Way for uh, Republican primaries to elect people other than just true Trump, you know, Trump loyalists. I mean, he's encouraging Democrats and independents to basically pull Republican ballots in primaries across the country and go in and vote for the more moderate anti-Trump Republicans because they are, you know, as we've seen across the country, they're kind of a dying breed right now. I mean, their their numbers are shrinking, and and as a result, these moderate Republican voices like like uh, Kinzinger's are are disappearing from our political landscape. What, uh, well, Representative Kinzinger, he continues to deal with criticism from his own party over his his stance on Donald Trump, right, and January 6th. What is going on today with the uh, Republican National Committee? Well, I think while we've been on the air here, I think the RNC voted to censure both Kinzinger and the Wyoming Congresswoman uh, Liz Cheney, the Republican, because they were participating or are participating in the House committee that's investigating the, the January 6th insurrection from last year. Um, the, the RNC and the language here, they, they basically characterized the attack on the Capitol as legitimate political discourse and, and said that, uh, you know, there, there was no, no you know, that, that basically the work that that uh, Cheney and Kinzinger were part of was an attack on on citizens who were, were you know, just basically out uh, in, encouraging you know, out doing their thing. And again, that phrase, legitimate political discourse. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's mainly a symbolic kind of thing. I, you know, Kinzinger's not on the ballot. It's not going to hurt him in any way. Cheney might, uh, you know, she's she's trying to, re- you know, hold on to her seat. Uh, but but they, they took a slap at him. All right. Well, on to a very different topic, Alex. Hate crime charges were filed against a suburban man who was allegedly behind anti-Semitic vandalism in Chicago's far north side neighborhood of West Ridge, just west of uh, Rogers Park. What do we know? Right. I mean, it's a pretty frightening situation. This is West Rogers Park, West Ridge, where there's a a pretty concentrated Orthodox Jewish population. And a a 39-year-old man from from Niles was charged with four counts of felony hate crime and criminal damage damage and defacement. And he's been tied to um, a, a series of different um, you know, basically just vandalism and, and spray painting uh, on 
some uh, businesses on Devon Avenue there, two synagogues, a yeshiva, a Jewish school were defaced with swastikas. Um, clearly, you know, really frightening stuff. And uh, city leaders have been trying to show publicly that they're taking it very, very seriously. You know, we saw a press conference with Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown announcing these charges and, and basically saying, um, you know, there is no place for this kind of hate crime in the city of Chicago. This comes right after this also really scary um, hostage situation that we saw in, in Colleyville, Texas at a synagogue. And just a couple of days after, um, you know, Yom HaShoah, the Jewish Day of Holocaust Remembrance. So it's it's really um, front of mind for, for Jewish Chicagoans. And, um, you know, hopefully this is the last we, we hear of, of that. Another story here, you know, with some areas of Chicago getting up to a foot of snow, you probably saw some streets filled with lawn furniture and broken chairs and buckets, pretty much anything that people didn't mind losing. That was being used to protect shoveled parking spaces what Chicagoans like to call dibs. But there's one alderman who decided that it was time to end that tradition. Alex, what happened in Alderman Ray Lopez's southwest side ward? Yeah, you know, it's the eternal argument, right? It comes back every single winter. Do do you dibs? Do you not dibs? Uh, alderman Raymond Lopez is someone who is both very outspoken on a whole range of issues and also um, you know, pretty aggressive on, on constituent services, plows and things like that. And I think we saw those two come together when he basically uh, sort of social media blitz saying, if you put any dibs out, uh, we will confiscate them. We will throw them away. He, I think what he tweeted was, quote, now is your chance to take back your lawn furniture, baby strollers and buckets before I can sign them to their final resting place. Um, so I think that he's having a little bit of fun with it, but also is very clearly like a lot of us really fed up with people, you know, trying to reserve spots that are, this is the public way, you know, no one owns uh, a piece of the street. And so he's just sort of taking it into his own hands. But um, yeah, like you said, Sasha, anyone who, you know, anything that you, you put out there, bottom line, you yeah. should, uh, you know, expect that you might lose it. Expect that you might lose it. Dave, what do you think? How long should you be able to reserve a parking spot that you shoveled? Well, I've always been in the mind that if, if I have to, you know, go into my car and drive to the grocery store to get, you know, a gallon of milk and a carton of eggs, it should basically be open for however long that trip is. So so it, it could vary depending on what how long I need to be at the grocery store. <laughs> but that, that's sort of how long I think it should stay open. Well, relatedly, we did have some good news this week. While most of us were scraping ice and snow off of our cars and our sidewalks, the city's Department of Cultural Affairs let us know that summer's a go. What do we have to look forward to, Dave? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to remember here that we got what three or four months, and and we're back in warm weather again. I mean, the, the city's announced Jazz Fest, Blues Fest, and the full Chicago Air and Water sh- Water Show. They're all going to be confirmed. So, I mean, yet another sign that we're all kind of uh, getting a little more comfortable coming out of the pandemic uh, shells that we've been in. Crossing our fingers that this plan still stands when summer is actually here, Dave. Yeah. Right. <laughs> As we wrap up another news recap, what stories are you both going to be following in the coming days? You first, Alex. You know, we're going to be continuing to to just glue ourselves to the remap to see who blinks first, if any conversations are happening. Um, just looking at the city council. And uh, we'll also want to take this opportunity to plug the next episode of our, our podcast. The Cloudcast is going to be an interview with my colleague Aaron Hegarty with Silvana Tavares, the vice chair of the Latino caucus, who's going to be talking all about that. Dave? 
Well, I mean, you know, in Springfield, we'll start cranking up their budgets and everything else that they want to get done before April. And, and certainly the campaign trail, the gubernatorial uh, Republican gubernatorial primary is starting to get interesting. So uh, those are two things I'll be keeping my eye on. That's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Dave McKinney, state politics reporter for WBEZ, and Alex Nitkin, City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Thank you for talking news and politics with me and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.